Today's story is about a very wealthy family living a charmed life on the coast of Southern California in a mansion. But what happened to this family had the entire community horrified. Unlike many cases I do on this podcast, this mystery is actually solved, though it does have a bit of a twist. Today's case is of the Sachs family. was a huge personality. Charismatic, passionate, driven, outgoing. She was a salesperson to her core, and she knew how to sell anything, and she made a great living doing it. At a computer convention, Andra met a super laid-back surfer, a former champion surfer, named Brad Sachs. I guess you could say he was the yin to her yang. They were married, they started a tech business together, and they also started a family. Together they had four kids, the eldest, Miles, and then came Ashton, Lexi, and Sabrina. Through the years, Andra became a real estate mogul and really helped her family reach that upper-class lifestyle. They owned a 9,000-square-foot mansion. Andra and Brad were worth over $80 million by the 1990s, which inflation today would equal around $188 million. So they were very well off. They lived a charmed, beautiful life. In the summer of 1999, the Sachs family suffered a tragedy. One morning while Andra was out working and Brad was out of town, they left their kids with the 28-year-old nanny. The nanny was cooking and had noticed little Lexi, two years old at the time, out on the deck of the hot tub by herself. So she grabbed 18-month-old Sabrina up out of the high chair and ran out there to get little toddler Lexi and bring her back inside. Lexi was two, so there was indeed a tantrum being thrown because she didn't want to go back inside. So Lexi begins kicking and fussing. The nanny put little Sabrina down to deal with this tantrum and Lexi accidentally knocked Sabrina off the deck and into the hot tub. The nanny freaked out, got Sabrina out, and she was panicking because Sabrina wasn't breathing. So she calls Andra. Andra told her, call 911. The issue was the nanny only spoke Spanish, so dispatch was delayed. Sabrina ended up dying. This was such a dark time for the parents, for Sabrina's siblings. The entire family was in such deep, dark heartache. After this, things were never really the same between Andra and Brad. You know, they say if a couple suffers the loss of a child, they are 80% more likely to end in divorce. And Andra and Brad were part of that statistic. Brad is the one who actually filed for divorce. He said Andra was mentally unstable, having some psychological issues, having bouts of mania, which left her unpredictable and irrational. 
They divorced in the year 2000, and it was a very messy divorce. Everything from custody battles, the house and other assets, their joint business, fights where police reports were filed, the works. Once the divorce was finalized, things really did calm down between them, and so much so that Andra and Brad actually got back together, to the shock of their whole family, and they moved back in together. They decided, though, that they weren't going to go down the marriage route again. They would just be together happily ever after without the marriage certificate. After a lot of thought, Andra and Brad decided they wanted to love another child again. This time, though, they decided to adopt. In 2007, Andra and the Sachs' oldest boy, Miles, went to a Russian orphanage and they brought home nine-year-old Lena and Lena's younger brother, Landon. Fast forward to 2014, things were great. The two oldest boys, Miles and Ashton, were grown, and Andra actually sent them to college out of state, 1,200 miles away in Washington. Miles, now 21, was learning how to manage Andra's real estate properties, and he was really good at it. She gave him a few properties to manage on his own without her interference. Ashton, now 19, was really into computers, so he was studying computer science, considering going to law school after that. Andra and Brad were so proud of their boys. Even though they did have a little bit of a rough time with 19-year-old Ashton, he really just lived in his brother Miles' shadow, and he felt like his parents were just disappointed in him all the time. He was a gamer, and he smoked a lot of pot. And Miles was the golden boy of the family, a go-getter just like his mom. But Miles and Ashton got along still. They didn't keep in contact every day, but they were both living in Washington, so they would get together sometimes. Meanwhile, the other kids were still living at home with their parents in Orange County, California. Lexi was now 17, Lena was 15, and Landon was now 8. The five members of the Sachs family who were still living in the mansion could not have predicted the kind of hell that was about to unfold the evening they all got into their beds on February 9th, 2014. Around 1.45 in the morning, Lexi was awoken suddenly by a loud kick at her bedroom door. It scared her to death, so she ducked under her covers. She heard a loud crash above her bed. She looked up and thought she saw the silhouette of a person. She was frozen in fear. She curled up in the fetal position and hid under her covers. But then all of a sudden, she heard a boom and Landon screaming out. Lexi jumped out of bed and rushed to go help Landon. And she sees him down the hall, laying face down, screaming that he can't feel his legs. Lena came running upstairs. She actually slept on the floor beneath them. When Lexi sees her, she screams, Go call 911. And then she tells Landon she's going to be right back. She's got to go get mom and dad. Lexi runs into her parents' bedroom. When the door flies open, she let out a blood-curdling scream. Her parents had been shot multiple times in the face. They were dead. Officers arrived to the Sachs mansion about 2.30 and began their investigation. Of course, Landon was rushed to the hospital and Lexi and Lena went with him. The morning hours came and the lead investigator called Miles and Ashton in Washington to inform them about their parents' tragic deaths and Landon's critical injury. 
The boys, of course, were hysterical. The brothers got on the phone with each other. They booked the next flight that they could back to California to be with their siblings. When they arrived to Orange County, the investigators got with the boys and asked them if they knew of anyone that could have done something like this. The boys actually said, well, yeah, mom and dad made a few pretty messy business deals and they made their fair share of enemies. The investigators asked the boys to make a list of people they felt needed to be investigated and they returned with a list of literally two pages of names. Investigators did go down this list and considered each name a lead, but, uh, okay, say they've got a pissed off client. I don't mean to say I can see this, but I can see Andra and Brad getting killed depending on who they pissed off. But to attempt to murder the children, what would the point in that be? especially after Andra and Brad are both dead. But reading through a few comments about Brad and Andra on some different websites, investigators did realize just how much they did piss people off. For instance, one comment about the couple after their death read, frankly, Andra and Brad are exactly where they belong, six feet under the surface being cannibalized by the same insects they had their tenants live with in their rentals. Ouch. Another comment regarding Andra when she was actually still alive, someone said, I have peace of mind while you hide behind your gated home with a dog patrolling the yard because you've screwed so many people over. You will have to answer to God for the veil black hearted witch that you are. Karma is a <laughs> So while going through names and comments, a few other things in particular bothered investigators. Why? didn't Lena wake up at all during these gunshots? Did Lexi also sleep through her parents' murders? It was stated that the murderer had unleashed 24 or 25 bullets. Was Lexi missed on purpose? It was just something investigators had in the back of their minds. A personal side note, another thing that I would be considering, if this was truly a stranger, the Saxes lived in a mansion the parents and the two siblings slept on the third floor, Lena on the second. If you weren't really familiar with the house, it would take a lot of searching, like dozens of rooms, in order to find the right room in the dark, you know? So to me, it seems like you would have to know your way around the house to go find the room where Andra and Brad were sleeping. So now, with the parents gone and the older boys in town now, Miles, the oldest, basically took over. He took over finances, he acted like the man of the house, he took the bull by the horns and just got things done. You've gotta do what you've gotta do. The other kids weren't exactly used to having to answer to their older brother, and I'm sure investigators also made note of Miles's power tripping, for lack of a better word. So police were able to get surveillance footage of the outside street from the neighbor's cameras. Right before the time of the 911 call, they spotted a white car speeding off down the street. Investigators were also able to get a hold of the Saxes' cell phone records. They found that near the time of the murder, there was a phone call placed. When they called this phone number, they found that it was an auto transport company. The person who called the company requested that they transport a car from an address 
an address found to be a commercial property that the Sachs family owned in San Juan Capistrano to be transported to Seattle, Washington. Oh, really? The investigators learned that this auto transport company was actually still holding this white vehicle, a Prius, in their storage facility in Seattle, which upon inspecting the surveillance footage from the neighbor, they did note that the vehicle in question that night around the time of the murders appeared to be a white Prius. So investigators told the auto company to continue to hold the Prius there. They were going to send Seattle PD over with a search warrant to the car. When Seattle police popped open the trunk of this car, their case was pretty much laid right out in front of them. Inside the Prius, the police discovered a 22 caliber long rifle, which is exactly what investigators believed was used on Andrea and Brad. They were looking at the murder weapon. Police knew now who the likely killer was in the murder because they knew that Ashton Sachs, the second oldest boy, drove a white Prius. Ashton's cell phone records showed that he had driven from Seattle to Orange County the night of the murders. They found that he had called American Airlines that night and purchased a flight from Orange County to Seattle, which departed the morning of February 9th, 2014. This meant that Ashton did have enough time to get from San Juan Capistrano back to Washington before Detective Thompson called the boys to break the news to them that their parents were dead. Investigators pulled security footage from the airport that day and found that Ashton was dropped off by a taxi at the John Wayne Airport before boarding his flight in California to Seattle. At this point, Ashton was staying with his siblings. Just a few days prior, he gave a eulogy at his parents' funeral. In fact, here are some things that Ashton said at the funeral. I really do believe that both of their energy is alive and they will continue to guide me throughout life. As a kid, I really just always thought I have pretty awesome parents. I don't know how to sum up how or why they were so amazing, just perfect parents. Everything they did was for their children. I remember in fifth grade, we had to do a report on who our hero was to us, but even at 13 years old, I knew right away my hero was my mom and I did my report on her. Ashton didn't know what investigators knew. On March 6, 2014, right at about a month after the murders, investigators Justin Montano and Mike Thompson arrived to where Miles and Ashton were living in Southern California. The boys were not expecting them, but they were super friendly and chatty. Miles had to leave the house for some reason, so he goes, and investigator Montano starts talking to Ashton, saying, We start really early just on tracking down leads and talking to people. When we catch the person that did this, what do you think should happen to them? Ashton says, I think they should go to prison for the rest of their lives. Montano says to Ashton, We just want to make sure that you're saying you're in Washington at the time of the murders. Like if we were playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that's going to be your final answer, that you were in Washington. Ashton replies, yes. Montano continues, when was the last time you were at John Wayne Airport? Ashton gets caught in a lie here when he says, when we flew down here after this happened. At this point, Ashton could see the trap that was in front of him, 
he knew now that they knew. Ashton is then arrested, charged with first-degree murder and the attempted murder of his brother and sister. When they brought him to the station for questioning, he didn't ask for a lawyer. He was very, 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 very quiet and monotone. Here's a clip of that interview. Not a lot of it because you can't hear what he's saying anyway, but just so you can hear how quiet he was. Explain to me what you did first. My parents were first. You saw your parents in the bed. Ten one. I'm sorry, I can't. I, I can't hear you. In which direction? Ashton tells investigators that, well, he whispered to them, that his plan was to shoot them and then kill himself too, even though no attempt was made on his part to try to kill himself. He just ran. He says he couldn't remember what was going through his mind as he was shooting them. It was just a rush. He said he wasn't like himself. He was something twisted. This murder was totally premeditated. Ashton bought the gun in Seattle a few weeks before the murder. He drove 18 hours to get home to Southern California. Think about that. You're driving with the intention of murder with a gun in the back seat for 18 hours without stopping. And this sounds crazy, but investigators said that it's true he didn't stop to use the bathroom at all. He chose to just urinate on himself. Excuse me? You can't even stop on the side of the road? So anyway, Ashton arrives to his parents' house. He went inside and just paced up and down the hallway for 10 to 15 minutes, asking himself, am I going to do it? Am I going to go through with it? So he ultimately decides just to do it. He ran to the master bedroom and opened fire at his parents. He went to Landon's room and shot once, hitting him in the spine and injuring him to the point where he would never walk again. He went to Lexi's room and shot at her, missing her and hitting the wall above her bed instead. And then he ran. He got in the car in the cul-de-sac in front of the house, drove to his parents' business, called the car transporting company to come pick him up, where they then drove him straight to John Wayne Airport, which at this point it was about 3.15 in the morning. When Ashton talked about why this was even in his head to begin with, he told investigators that he was so f***ed up because of his parents. They did not trust him at all. Miles was their favorite child. There was even one point where Ashton called his mom and asked how many pills he would have to take to kill himself, and she didn't take him seriously. Then he actually did try to kill himself with pills, and he was hospitalized for it. And he said his parents didn't care. They never even talked about it. He talked about his relationship with his mom, saying he always thought that she was the only person in the world who he could really trust, but she didn't care about him. He said his dad never really liked him or even loved him. They were never close. According to Ashton, Brad was always mean to him and always excluded him from things. He also said they never trusted him with anything. Meanwhile, Miles was being brought up as the heir to their company. When it came down to it, he resented his parents, and that's ultimately what fueled this entire murder plot. In September of 2016, Ashton Sachs actually fired his public defender, and he decided to plead guilty to the crime. The judge said to Ashton, 
you understand that by pleading guilty, you will never be released from prison. And Ashton said, yes, I intentionally killed with premeditation and deliberation both Bradford and Andra Sachs. The judge sentenced Ashton to four life sentences, which included one for shooting at his sister. He got another 100 years for using a gun and for paralyzing Landon. Ashton will never, ever be eligible for parole. Unfortunately, Landon Sachs is confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life, but he remains active and even ranked 17th in the nation in wheelchair tennis. He received a tennis scholarship to the University of Arizona. Miles Sachs was awarded custody of his three siblings, and he told a reporter in 2019 that there were actually three casualties on February 9, 2014. The way he saw it, Ashton also died the night he killed his parents. <laughs> 